0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. There will be a great big target on the back of Lazarus. Because in the next chapter, we'll see that because he was raised from the dead and a constant reminder of this huge miracle, they want to put him to death as well. So he has a great big bullseye on him, which forces he and his sisters to move. They have to get out of Jerusalem. It got so bad. And they go to the Cypriot church. Lazarus is seeking refuge. And they go settle in Cyprus. It's called Kidion, but it's present day Larnaca. And Paul and Barnabas travel there and they will ordain Lazarus as the first bishop of Kitty on Cyprus or Larnica Cyprus. And Lazarus was very close to the Virgin Mary as well because if he's a good friend of her son's, you know how that is. Mary loved him too and, and the daughters and she was very grieved when they had to move and so she would write letters to comfort the family. This is from Orthodox tradition. She asked that he might send a ship to her and she might visit him in Cyprus. Oh, well, they were overjoyed to do that. So Lazarus sends a ship to the Holy Land to get Mary and John for a trip to Cyprus recorded in 52 AD. It is said that Mary sewed his bishop outfit with her own hand, wove it herself. On this journey, they came up against a great storm in this ship, and they're taken off course, and they end up on the shores of a city called Ephesus. And they are unaware that divine providence had brought them there. Virgin Mary loved, she was so taken with the beauty of Ephesus, and she prayed to her son that this could be her garden devoted to prayer to fight the good fight of faith. We know that later Mary and John did settle there in Ephesus in that beautiful garden. There's her home, and people are streaming through it to this day. There's John's memorial in Ephesus. So while they're stranded there, they start a new Christian community there because what was big in Ephesus was that Temple of Artemis. And then later, Mary got reunited with Lazarus once again. In that city in Cyprus, in Larnaca, the bishop's chairs have Lazarus on them, and We have to remember, Lazarus has a first tomb in Bethany. He's buried in that tomb, but then he rises from that tomb, and his second tomb will be in Larnaca on the island of Cyprus. And his relics have been found there and identified. And on his tombstone, which is there, it says, Lazarus, the friend of Christ. The church that's built, the bones were right under the altar. There's his tomb. And on November twenty-third, 1972, that's not very long ago, they did find his human remains in a marble sarcophagus under the altar during renovation work to the church. They were identified as the relics of St. Lazarus, and they are there today enshrined for visitors. They also shared some of those relics with other Russian Orthodox. They came and brought them back to Moscow, Russia on June 11, 2012, and carrying that reliquarium, the primate of the Russian Orthodox Church said these were it is with special gratitude that I receive this precious gift. There could be no greater gift than this. We will take these relics of Lazarus to the patronal city of Moscow, we'll house them in a place where a multitude of people can approach them. Everyone who venerates these sacred relics of Lazarus will know your gift. And through this veneration, love for Cyprus and the Church of Cyprus will be strengthened in the hearts of our people. The relics were met by procession at the Conception Convent in Moscow. The people were elated to have the relics of Lazarus in their town, in their keeping. They love Lazarus there. They celebrate his feast day with great joy and they just love him. Pope Francis met with this Russian Orthodox patriarch February 12th of 216. They're trying to make inroads for peace between our divide. The Russian Orthodox celebrates Lazarus Saturday, the day before Palm Sunday. It's a triumphant celebration. But this resurrection of Lazarus affirms our universal resurrection before Christ's own resurrection. And that's how John theologically orders it. Now, Lazarus comes out of the grave all bound up in cloths. And many of the church fathers saw this as an indication that Lazarus is going to need these cloths again. He died once. Jesus rose him from the dead, but he's not eternally alive yet. He's still on earth. So he has to rise. He's going to have to, he'll rise with us on the last day, right? But he's in a second tomb now, and he's got his garments. He's got his cloths saved, where Jesus didn't need his grave clothes anymore. They could be left behind in the tomb. He will never need them again because he is the resurrection and he is life. He's never going to need them again. John is careful to tell us the details of the linen wrappings in the grave of Jesus. They're lying there and there's a special cloth that had been on his head that was not lying with the linen wrappings. That would be the Shroud of Turin, but it's rolled up in a place all by itself. So what went on in that tomb during those dark hours? Jesus is very tidy to roll up his little linen wrapping and put it over. to He sounds a lot like my boys. <laughs> Here's what it would have looked like. They are wrapped their body and their head separate with two separate cloths. So we're in Bethany at the house of the poor, and Mary was the one who anointed the Lord and perfumed and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. John's not chronological because we're not reading about that story until the next chapter next week, the anointing. So it just shows us that we can't think of John in a step-by-step way. That'll be next week. But the sisters send a message to the Lord, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They were very worried about their brother. He had fallen sick, very, very sick. They send for Jesus. They know Jesus could heal him. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, that's very similar to what we heard him say about the man born blind. Was it him or his parents' sin that he's born this way? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This man is born blind so he can show the glory of God. The glory of God's going to be manifest through him. Same thing here. Lazarus is going to show the glory of God and accordingly though jesus loved martha he loved her sister mary he loved lazarus and having heard that lazarus was ill he rushed right back to them to be with them no he stays two days longer what what kind of friend is that he intentionally stays two days longer away in the place that he was Wow. He waits for the corruption of the body to set in. No one's going to be able to doubt this seventh sign. Rabbinical belief stated that the soul hovered over the body for three days, but after three days, it is gone. Three, the divine number, and it's gone. The fourth day, you're dead. No chance. By fourth day, there's no chance that there's going to be anything happening so after this he says to the disciples hey let's go to Judea again and the disciples said rabbi the Jews were just trying to stone you there we we can't go there why would you go there again if you remember in John 10 it ended with them picking up big stones to throw at Jesus they wanted to kill him Jesus answered are there not 12 hours of daylight those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world Oh, how good it is to walk in the light of Christ, to be fully exposed, to live that type of life that anything can be seen, to walk in the light. He knows he's not going to be here forever on earth. Walk in the light. Walk with me now. Those who walk at night stumble. The light is not in them. Don't grope around in the dark. This is a constant theme for John, this light and dark, light and dark. We see it in 1 John 1. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't do what's true. If we walk in the light, as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. So, after saying that, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I am going there to awaken him. And the disciples said, oh, 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 if he just fell asleep, he'll be fine. He'll be all right. We don't need to go. They know it's dangerous there. They know they're out to get them. Jesus uses this, if you remember, this falling asleep thing. He said that with the little girl. Go away. The little girl's not dead. She's sleeping. The child's not dead. She's sleeping. But this time was Lazarus. He had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to human sleep. So Jesus has to tell them plain out, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so you may believe. So he intentionally stayed away so Lazarus could die for a greater glory of God to be revealed. And Thomas, who was called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) Right? Right? That's a foreshadowing, because guess what's ahead? Every single one will be martyred to their death. They will die with him, everyone but Judas and John, who has a natural death. Here's Thomas, who said that. He gets speared four ways from all directions when he takes the gospel to India. Let us also go that we may die with him. Oh, yes, they will. Anytime in art you see a diagonal cross, it's St. Andrew. He was the first called in John's gospel. That's how he died. Peter, his brother is also crucified, but he says, not the way my Lord died, put me upside down. He's upside down crucified on a cross. This one I love, this painting, this is Bartholomew. He was skinned alive. You see him flaying his skin. They peeled all his skin off him and killed him that way. When Jesus arrived, they found Lazarus was already in the tomb for four days, four days, four days. That's no chance, Uh, no chance to be resuscitated. The soul has left by day four. It's over. Also, <laughs> the stench, the decay had already sent in. This is hot Mediterranean sun. Bodies rot, and they rot quickly. The women put oil and spices to try to cover the stench. He is dead, dead, <laughs> dead, dead, dead as a doornail. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, two miles away. Many Jews had come to comfort Mary and Martha, to console them about the loss of Lazarus. Well, Lazarus was well-known. Mary and Martha were well-known. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. And Mary stayed home. Martha, the active one, runs. Mary stays. Martha said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Wow. There is absolutely no death in Jesus Christ There is no death in God. He is eternal life itself. Death was never, ever, 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 ever even supposed to enter the world. We were supposed to live immortally forever. There's no death in Jesus, especially when he conquered it here. He had already told us in John 6, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. He is that tree hidden in the garden, that bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And if Adam and Eve would have eaten it with mortal sin on their soul, they would have lived forever. He knows that. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and what? I will raise them up on the last day. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life forever. Because he's the bread of life. He's the tree of life. Every time we go up there, we should remember that. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know, on the last day. And he said, I am the resurrection and life. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And I'm asking each one of you, do you believe this? One lady is nodding her head. (laughs) One lady believes this. Do you believe this? Really, it's hard to believe. Good, I'm glad you do, because it's what we got to teach our children so they're not afraid of death. This is our hope. Death is a passing. Death is going through the gate. Death is going through the veil. We have to do it to get there, to get there, to get there. Lori's already there. Mary told me it's the second anniversary of Lori's death today. Lori's there. That's where we're all going. Lori's there. Her husband's there. And their kids are sad, and their kids are grieving still with their aunt who loved her. Just like Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus, and Jesus. Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's a huge statement of faith. She's not even an apostle. Peter said that. Peter said that. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. She's saying that. She's a woman. John Paul II says in his letter on the dignity and vocation of women that this conversation that Jesus has with Martha is one of the most important in all the gospel. When she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet come to the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were consoling... Mary saw Mary go quickly and they followed her because they thought she was going to go to the tomb to weep and when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him she knelt at his feet and she said Lord if you would have been here if you only would have been here my brother would not have died same thing her sister said they know he's the author of life they know he's a divine healer Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her were also weeping and he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. Now, why was he greatly disturbed in his spirit? Some translations say he was agitated. Some said perturbed. Why? You think Jesus wanted to put these girls, these ladies through this? They are weeping, they are crying, they are grieving. And he knew all along. He stayed longer, extra two days, because he knows what he's gonna do. He's gonna raise him from the dead, but he lets them go through this horrible, horrible grief, and he loves them, and he sees them crying. Do you? Is this some kind of sick joke? No. This is what we have to do too. We have to go through death to get to life. He's teaching us. It agitates him. The whole thing about death agitates him because it was never supposed to happen. Death is Satan's realm. Life is his realm. We have to go through this. He had to let them go through it. We're going to have to grieve. But we got to tell our kids, don't cry for me. Too long. A little bit. (laughs) And plan a good funeral with good music and all that. But do you know where I'm going? Do you know where I'm going? Because I know where I'm going. And do you know how much hope that gives the family? Don't be afraid of death. Don't freak your kids out about death. Tell them the promises. Say that, Nicene Creed, like you mean it. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead. It's not, it's not, it's the only way we can get there. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And he began to weep because he loves them. And he's sad too because he loved Lazarus. And he wept to see God of the universe cry. And he wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of this said, well, couldn't he have raised him? I mean, he, you saw what he did with the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept this man from dying? And we know he could have just said the word, and my servant will be healed. Like the, the, like the centurion. He didn't have to be there physically present. He could just go to will Lazarus be healed. Right? (laughs) Couldn't he have kept him from dying? And Jesus was greatly disturbed. And he came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone was lying against it. You know why else I think he's disturbed? He knows Lazarus is going to have a target on his back now. He knows Mary and Martha are going to have to move away. He knows they're going to be a target of death. He hates death. He has no part in death. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, there's going to be a stench. Because he's been dead four days. His body's decaying. It's decomposing. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you. I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may know and believe that you sent me. He wants to glorify his father. He will do all things to give glory to God, his father. First is Thanksgiving. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine Lazarus in the grave? It's a stone. There's no light. It's pitch black in there. I guess they rolled the stone away. Okay, so there's a little light streaming in. But he sits up. He stands up. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound with strips of cloth. His face was wrapped in the cloth, and Jesus said, Unbind him! Unbind him! Let him go! This is how the burial cloths were. Lazarus could no way raise himself. He couldn't even move. And Jesus says, unbind him, unwrap him, set him free. I love this picture, unbind him. Because St. Augustine says that's what penance does, right? That's what the sacrament of reconciliation does. Jesus wants to unbind each and every one of us. He wants to set us free from our original sin by the power of our baptism with the sacrament of confession. When he says, I absolve you, the priest in the person of Christ, says, I absolve you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity, I absolve you of your sins be unbound! Be set free! Go! It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but we have to avail ourselves to it. Do you know how many people haven't been to confession for five years, ten years? I met a man in Bible study, he hadn't been for 40 years. He decided to go one day. He googled where in in Omaha, it was his birthday, where in Omaha is their confession at 7.30 a.m.? Oh, St. Cecilia's. He went and had a 40-year confession. He was unbound. Praise God. He was healed. He was set free. He was resurrected. That's what Jesus wants for us. Each of those seven sacraments by the power of the Trinity, just like Lazarus, we too are going to rise from the dead on the last day. Paul says, the Lord himself is going to come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You want to die in Christ. Go to confession. They said, what would you, in that question in the book, what would you do if you had 24 hours to live? I go to confession. Then I get sacraments sick. Then I'd say I'm sorry to everyone I ever hurt my whole entire life. Then I'd love on my husband and my kids. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We want to die in Christ. Sin separates us from Christ. You want to be in Christ. The dead are in Christ are going to rise first. So on that day, if the ground's cracking open around you and bodies are flying out and you're still trapped down and you can't move, that's a bad sign. (laughs) You know? All who are in their graves, all, will hear his voice and will come out, every single person those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. All of us, one day, will be resurrected. Now, almost done. The Catechism, 997, what is rising? In death, the separation of the soul from the body, the human body decays, and the soul goes to meet God. While awaiting its reunion with this glorified body, God in his almighty power, will definitely grant incorruptible life to our bodies by reuniting them with our souls through the power of Jesus' resurrection. It is in regard to death that man's condition is most shrouded in doubt. In a sense, bodily death is natural, but for faith, it is in fact the wages of sin. The reason we die is because sin entered the world. The wages of sin is death. Paul tells us that. That's why we can be set free, and we don't have to be afraid of death if we're out of sin, if we're in Christ. For those who die in Christ, in Christ's grace, it's a participation in the death of the Lord so that we can also share in his resurrection. So this is not mercy killing. This is a deception. This isn't right. This is snatching a soul at the end, not trusting God for his perfect timing. God will give us our last breath. Jesus raised Lazarus. But who raised Jesus? Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Trinity? Yes, 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 yes! God the Father? Yes, check. Ephesians, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. To the Galatians, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. How about God the Son? Was he involved? Yes, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. God, the Holy Spirit, uh uh-huh. In him, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give you life through his spirit. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. So all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, it's one God, three persons. The three divine persons act together as one to manifest their own proper characteristics. The Father raised up Christ his Son by doing so perfectly, introduced the Son's humanity, including his body, into the Trinity. Jesus Christ, in this hypostatic union, his body, his human body, is going to be forever in the Trinity. He takes on a body. Our bodies are so important. That's why John Paul wrote Theology of the Body. The body shows us God's plan. And God, the power, and the spirit of holiness. So all three are involved. How about the ascension? Jesus just, that just, the power of that. That, again, is the Trinity. Christ's ascension marks the definitive entrance of Jesus' humanity into God's heavenly domain whence he came. And how about the assumption? Ascension is different than assumption. You're being assumed. Someone has to assume you. You're not just ascending. You're being assumed. The assumption of the Blessed Virgin is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation of the resurrection of every other Christian believer. She gives us hope. She gives us hope. This is infallible dogma of Pius XII, the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. She's 100% human creature like us. There are no relics of Mary because her body's not here. It's gone. It's been assumed into the heavenly realm. Assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. She is crowned queen of heaven and queen of earth. And she makes constant intercession for us. For you and you and you and you and your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids' kids. That's what she does because she's the mother of all the living. The truly living, the spiritually alive, the baptized. And she knows our needs even before we know them. We don't even know what's coming down the pike. She does. She's got you covered. She intuits it. Just like she did at Cana. They have no wine. She is our hope. We look for the resurrection. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the resurrection and thank you for being the eternal life of the world. Ah. There is no death in you. You are life, eternal life. You only want life for us. Choose life and live, you told us in Exodus, in Deuteronomy. Choose life and live. May we be people of the gospel of life. May we not fear death because we know what's behind the veil, the hope of eternal life with you. We have to pass through it, and we have to trust you, and we have to surrender. But we have examples like Lazarus and Mary who have gone before us, creatures. And so we praise you and thank you for that hope. We pray for our loved ones who have died before us. We pray for their souls. We pray that they are there with you waiting for us. And we thank you for faith, hope, and love. Tonight, hope, hope, hope hope of eternal life with you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.